0: 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we'll begin this evening. We're continuing our study on what the Bible says is a healthy church. And so we've taken time to see that the most important thing about church is that it is honoring to God, that it is a God honoring church. And that means that it must be word centered. The Bible must be at the center of what we do. And the essentials essentials that uh, we looked at so far with regard to a healthy church are, first of all, worship. That is, that we ought to be worshiping God. The very um, heart of what we do as believers is that we worship God. And so it makes sense that when the church was formed, it was formed to come together and give glory to God for who He is. And we do that in several ways. We do that throughout our worship service. Worship doesn't. Um, worship is not just singing. Worship is not just giving. Worship is is happening. It should be happening during the time of preaching. It should be happening during times of fellowship. We should be honoring God in all of those things. And um, so that was the first one. The first essential was worship, and the second essential is instruction. And we broke that down into two. Basic parts, and the first being expository preaching that we have as part of our regular meal of receiving the Word, that we have the Word of God exposed to us. That's what the word expository has the idea of being exposed. So we take a passage of Scripture in the context in which it was written, and then we look at it in that context and have it exposed to us so that we can see what it is that God is trying to say. And uh, So that's the first aspect of instruction. The second aspect is discipleship. And that means that each one of us need to be regularly finding out how we can help other people grow in their faith and uh, grow in their knowledge of God and their love for God and their removal of sin. And tonight, the the third essential really is fellowship. And it, it goes a lot along... Very closely with instruction, I believe, but uh, fellowship is something that every church ought to be doing. Have you ever wondered what perfect fellowship looks like? What would it be like if if our church experienced perfect fellowship or if you experienced perfect fellowship with one other person? There really are only two fallen people in history who have ever experienced perfect fellowship fellowship with other people and that was Adam and Eve it was uh, obviously prior to their sin and we often consider that they had perfect fellowship with God that that Adam would walk in the garden with God and so they had this perfect sweet fellowship with God but what we don't but we don't often think about is that they also had perfect fellowship with each other you remember what happened when that perfect fellowship with God was destroyed that perfect fellowship between the two of them was also uh, marred. It was also hindered in that the um, the woman's desire, as part of the curse, would be that she would desire to have her authority over a man uh, in the relationship. And and uh, the very the very uh, first heinous sin that really took place didn't take too long when Cain was born. And uh, he and Abel were were offering these sacrifices to God. Cain was frustrated with the fact that God didn't accept his sacrifice, and as a result, you see you see this uh, discord between people now because this fellowship with God was broken. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter six verse five, we find that the earth was very violent, and the only inclination of man was was only evil all the time. And uh, so it went a long way from this perfect fellowship with God and others to complete disarray and and violence. And when Noah's family began a new generation following the judgment of the earth there with the flood, there was still more division, wasn't there? More wars, more uh, more conflict, more hatred, more murder. It didn't go away when when God wiped out all those evil people. It just continues to return. In fact, when we come to the New Testament and even to our day, we find that there's even conflict within local churches, isn't there? Even among believers, there is conflict as to what's right and what's wrong, and 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 uh, people overlooking sin, people um, in, in a wrong way, and and causing even greater conflict. And what we should recognize from all of this is that sin creates a barrier. Uh, to perfect fellowship. If, if sin were not there, do you realize that we would be able to have perfect fellowship? So as long as there are sin, there there is sin in the world, and as long as we are meeting together with other sinners, there's not going to be perfect fellowship. The sweetness and purity of our fellowship is directly proportionate to our fellowship with God. In other words. The closer we are to God, the better our fellowship with be will be among, uh, among believers. When we don't care about what God cares about, then we will care very little about what other people uh, what other people what's going on in other people's lives, what, what their concerns are, what their needs are. We're not going to care about those things when we don't care what, about what God cares about. And so what we recognize as a church is that we need fellowship. We need fellowship with other believers because God has designed the church as a unit. In fact, the very word church is fundamentally a group. It's a group of believers. I mean, think of all the imagery that's used in the New Testament to describe a local church. It is a temple. Well, a temple is made up of bricks and they're interlocked and they provide stability. You have a flock. A flock is not made up of one sheep. It's made up of a of a, of a lot of sheep, of a vine. A vine has branches. A body has many members that work together to accomplish a purpose. It's not one big eyeball rolling around, or or one giant thumb that's bouncing from here to there. We we all have different purposes. We all have different. Um, okay, you see, you recognize I'm talking about on the short, on the near level, but ultimately have one big purpose, and we're all working together to do one thing. But we all have different functions is the word I'm looking for. Church is not simply a gathering of members. It's really a joining in fellowship together because of our, the relationship we have in Jesus Christ. And we need that fellowship. We can't go without that fellowship. We can't grow without that fellowship. A church is, is fundamentally a group of believers. And a church is fundamentally a group that meets together. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. A church fundamentally is a group that meets together. Chapter 11, verse 18, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. Look down to verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. And then verse 33, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I'll arrange when I come. Paul here four times says that the church is a group that meets together when it comes together. The idea of of a church is a group that, that meets together. We shouldn't have a decentralized idea of worship that we can just all just go around the different areas and we can still be a church. A church is, is, is a group that meets in one place, usually at a specific uh, uh, time that is, is posted so that people know when they can meet. And then uh, we fulfill these functions that we have as a church. Worship, instruction, fellowship, and we'll look at later evangelism in the weeks to come. So we need genuine fellowship. And tonight I'd like to prove to you from the Scriptures that genuine fellowship, which springs from believers sacrificially loving one another, Genuine fellowship results in mutual growth in godliness. Now, do you remember what our ultimate purpose was as a church? What are we ultimately driving for? Now, now if we look at the long term, the the ultimate goal, the biggest picture we possibly can, we all, we have to say it is to glorify God. And I don't think there's any church that would argue with you on that. That there, that's what, that's why they exist to glorify God. But the next uh, goal that we have set out for us, the the nearer goal, the one that the way in which we honor and glorify God is by doing what? It's by discipleship. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, that we are making disciples of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, all of us ought to be growing in godliness. And, and, and we looked at this last week when we said that, that what Christ is ultimately trying to do is to present to us, to pre- present to himself on that day, a people who is blameless before him. Spotless. And we talked about how, how that we don't start out that way as Christians. And, and once we become Christians, we, we don't continue that way. We, we, by nature, fall towards ungodliness, right? And so we need to be growing in godliness. And so that's what we always need to be pushing toward, that our church needs to be growing in godliness. And so that's why this element of fellowship is so important, because it actually when it's done right when genuine fellowship is happening then it will result in mutual growth in godliness that is we're all growing up in godliness together in order to see what what fellowship is okay because i said we want to get to that goal which is to to grow in godliness and in order to do that we need to be a part of genuine fellowship we need to find out what fellowship is but Perhaps the best way to see what fellowship is is to look in the scriptures and see what it is not. What is it that breaks fellowship in a church? What kind of things are are we responsible to actually break off fellowship with other believers or professing believers? Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and we'll be doing a lot of turning tonight because um it's just the nature of how this sermon goes. Matthew chapter eighteen. I was trying to give you a good reason, but I don't really have one. Matthew chapter eighteen, verse fifteen. Notice the first thing that we see in the scriptures that breaks fellowship with anyone uh who who either is a believer or who calls himself a believer, chapter eighteen, verse fifteen. Jesus says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So, the thing that's repeated throughout these verses is that this person is failing to listen. The idea is if, if they fail to listen, if they fail to listen, the idea is not that I'm not even going to listen to you, I'm plugging my ears, but rather that they're not willing to respond to the sin that they are committing. So if a brother sins, you're supposed to go to them one-on-one. Okay, You don't have to go grab a big group and, and call an intervention for them the very first thing you do is you go to that person and show them their sin from the Scripture and show them this is not what God would accept. If that doesn't work, then you take two or three with you. and then, uh, Or one or two with you, excuse me. And then if that doesn't work, then you take it before the church. And if that doesn't work, um, then, then you treat them like an unbeliever. That's, that's the way uh, fellowship is broken. So the very first thing that we can see that breaks fellowship is sin. It's sin. And specifically, it is, in this case, unrepentant sin. It is sin that, that they're not willing to change. They're, they're not willing to get rid of, are they? That's why you have to go with two or three. You have to go with the whole church. And, and still at the end, they still don't. And so really, it's referring to unrepentant sin. But it's also referring to. Uh, it can also be referring to other kinds of sin. Turn back to 1 Corinthians. And look at chapter fifteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Verse eleven. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. I think I uh, gave the wrong verse there. Um, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This one, in fact, is the one... Um, this is another one in, in, with regard to sin and, and the problems that, that there are with regard to sin. How we need to break fellowship. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will, inherit, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be de- de- deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. When it's talking about people who commit these acts of sin, um, in other parts of Scripture, we find that they are the ones who practice these sorts of sins. doesn't mean that God will not forgive these sins. Certainly, God is a forgiving God and He forgives far beyond we deserve. But it's referring to habitual practicers of these heinous sins. And if, the, if there are people who are participating in these things, what does Paul say about them? Verse 10, They will... Not inherit the kingdom of God. So, if that's the case, then we ought not to be we be fellowshipping with them. Um, we treat them as Jesus says in Matthew chapter eighteen as unbelievers. So, the point here in this this first this first item that breaks fellowship is sin, or specifically unrepentant or heinous sins, habitual heinous sins. Um, those types of things should break fellowship from us or we should break fellowship from them so if we want to avoid that we're, what we're trying to find is what is fellowship if we want to avoid breaking fellowship from from that sort of person or from us being broken off from from the rest of the church then we need to be we need to be striving personally to be holy we need to strive personally to be holy and that means that we must also, be, be striving for other people to be holy. In other words, we need to look out and find out what types of areas other people need to improve in and, uh, and uh, help the church in that way by removing sin from our midst. We'll talk about that more next week um, that, that we ought to encourage holiness in others. The next thing that we find in Scripture that breaks fellowship is false doctrine. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter one, verse nine. We're trying to find out again what what uh, God honoring fellowship is, and so in order to do that, we're looking at what types of things break fellowship. First, we said unrepentant sin or or habitual heinous sin, and then secondly, false doctrine. Verse nine as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So so again, in order to help us in our definition of what fellowship is, fellowship that honors Christ is fellowship that is doing away with false doctrine. So if we want to be having genuine fellowship, we must work hard ourselves to know the truth. And to help others know the truth, to help them to, to see the truth for what it is, to see the scriptures. In fact, the scriptures in First, or the, the scriptures, the church that is in First Timothy three fifteen is called the pillar and support of truth. It is, it is part of who we are. We are upholders of truth, and so we individually need to recognize that truth is very important. Third thing that breaks fellowship is strife. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Paul tells Titus here in, in chapter 3, verse 10, reject a factious man or divisive person. After a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self condemned. Okay, this includes um, disorderliness or disruption, causing conflict within the body of Christ um, in, a, in an unhelpful way. I mean, what this should teach us about fellowship is that we ought to handle confrontation biblically that we should care about the truth, but we shouldn't build a coup. Okay, Build a group of people who will be on our side and then we take them all and we'll surprise the person who's, being, who's teaching this false doctrine or we'll surprise the person who is living in this sin. No, we do it in a biblical way. We don't do it in a divisive way. We go because we genuinely care about them. We want to see them rescued. We don't want to see them condemned. That's not our ultimate goal and that's what happens a lot of times when we see a sin or a false teaching in someone else we we automatically start talking to people around us and then we, we get all these people on our side and then that way if we ever have to stand up against them then we got all these other people on our side and we don't look as bad but the scriptures teach us that we ought to be concerned mostly for their restoration that they would come back to to the the, the truth that they would that they would do away with their sin and uh, if, if we are going to be promoting fellowship in our church, then we cannot be factious, divisive. And then fourthly, the thing that breaks fellowship is arrogance. Chap- Third John, chapter one. Third John chapter one, verse nine. John is writing here towards the end of his life and he writes in verse 9, I wrote something to the church, but Diatrophes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. Not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. John says this, these type of people the ones who desire to be first then we we cannot have a part we can't have regular fellowship with them because what tends to happen is those type of people bring us down as church we must all work hard to be humble if we're going to promote fellowship that honors Christ we have to work hard to be humble that means individually and if we understand the gospel if we understand what Jesus Christ has done for us then we would recognize that there is nothing more humiliating than than re- the realization of knowing that we were the ones who put Christ on the cross. That that we, when I say we, I see I, you, individually, were responsible for, for putting Christ on the cross. And we recognize that. We see ourselves at the foot of the cross responsible for His death and, and realize that there's nothing on our own that could earn our way or earn our acceptance before Him or earn... The love that that we want from God because we've betrayed him when we see the gospel for what it is we see ourselves for who we are and we should be humbled. Um, but the problem is is we often get the cross out of view. The cross becomes a a footnote. it doesn't it's not that important to our lives anymore. It was important when we got saved we think. But not as important that right now. And the farther it gets from view, the prouder we will we will view our own accomplishments. We will say, "Well, look what I have done on the 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 power that I have accumulated and, and the things that I've accomplished." And as a result, we'll become more and more frustrated with the people around us. The fellowship will not be God honoring. And what humility does is it drives us to our knees and it drives us to humble service of others. Even to the point where we are willing to endure mistreatment from others. Why? Because we mistreated Christ. We recognize what we have done to Christ. And as you work hard to be humble individually, what you do is you promote humility within our church. When you work hard on humility personally, you promote humility in our church because you teach them by example what humility is. And so the three purposes for why we break fellowship with these types of people, the ones who are involved in unrepentant sin, false doctrine, divisive people, and arrogant people, we do this because we want to restrain evil in our midst, we also want to restore the wandering brother or sister who's who's starting to fall away. But but then we also want to retain the purity of the church. We want to make sure that we are, are unified in our desires and in our goals. And what can happen is if we allow these types of people to be a part of our church, it, it can cause major conflicts and it can can veer us off course from where we ought to be, where we ought to be headed, And so, genuine fellowship is really about spiritual relationships. Genuine fellowship happens as each joint supplies what is necessary for the working of the body. Not everybody receives the same uh, view. They They don't all get the same recognition. But every part of the body is important. And By the way, we do not by nature drift towards genuine fellowship. Do you realize that? We actually drift towards isolationism or 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 schism, division. That's where we drift if we don't work hard to to promote fellowship with, within our body. And division can be hidden for a time. You know, all things are well, people are are good, we, all of our relationship are all of our relationships are going well, but when a significant issue comes up, then that's when the the uh, the teeth come out really. And a lot of times it explodes in strife and and problems. and uh, and so we must work hard to to go against the flow of Satan pulling us toward this division. And we do that by participating in genuine fellowship with each other. Well, how does that happen? How does genuine fellowship take place? Um, I'm leaning heavily on Pastor Dorn again here. He gives us uh, at least eight things that we ought to be doing personally in order to promote fellowship within our church. And we could summarize them all by saying that we ought to be loving each other. That we ought to be loving each other. We'll talk about this in detail next week. But But what types of things ought we to be doing Based on what the scriptures teach us, if we're going to promote genuine fellowship among believers, we said that fellowship is very important to the growth of the church and we'll see this here at the end that that it results in mutual growth and godliness. So we need this fellowship among believers. The very first thing that we need to be doing is found in Hebrews chapter 3. And that is encouragement. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 we have to be encouraging one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 Take care, brethren, that there not be any, in any, any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. According to these two verses, what are we trying trying to guard against? Verse 12 says that that there will be no evil, unbelieving heart in your midst that falls away. Verse 13, it's so that we can avoid people from becoming hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And how do we do that? How do we make sure that people are being warned and people are are taking care of their own spiritual lives? Verse 13 says, encourage people one another. How often ought we to do it? Whenever the day is called what? Today. We ought always to be encouraging one another. So, our work in encouraging others actually helps prevent fellow believers from becoming hardened towards sin. You say, How could I possibly help someone uh, remain unhardened? Toward sin, how could I actually pull them from the flames? How do how, how do our prayers get answered? Okay, I'd ask you the same sort of question back. I mean, God accomplishes His purposes through means, and you can be His means. You can be His tool that He uses to save someone from the fire, from being hardened from sin. So we work hard to encourage one another. That's what fellowship uh, includes. It also includes exhortation. Hebrews chapter ten Hebrews chapter ten verse twenty three. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse twenty-five, you see that first one we just looked at, and that is encouraging one another. Verse twenty-four, we see the second one, and that is exhortation. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How to how to build them up in their faith. Okay, and this requires. Okay, this is not talking to pastors specifically, although they are not excluded. But this is talking to the congregation as a whole. Let us, us consider one another, consider how we ought to build each other up in love and good deeds. So, what does that mean? That means that you and I need to be looking around the church from week to week, from service to service, and saying, "What can I do to stimulate love and good deeds in this other person?" What can I do? A lot of it starts with us us personally, with me personally, with you personally, that that we individually are are loving to each other and promoting and doing good deeds. But then also it's it's reaching out to other people and helping encourage them. That they need to be a part of, of regular service. So they look out. You know, I haven't seen this absent member for a while. And so you go up to someone else and say, would you come with me? I'd like to go visit them. I'd like to go see how things are going. I'd like to see how I can encourage them to do what verse 25 says, and that is not to forsake the assembling of themselves together. So that why? Chapter 3, verse 12 so they don't get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I want to be God's conduit of grace. Encouragement. Exhortation. Romans 15, 7. Teaches us that fellowship ought to be part of fellowship ought to be acceptance. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Pretty simple command here. Paul writes, therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Have you ever met someone in church who you thought, you know, if I didn't go to church with that person, I would never be a friend to that person. I would never have a relationship with them. They're just so hard to to talk to. They're so hard to get along with. And yet, what is is the motivation for us in verse verse 7? Why should we accept these other people? Why should we accept one another? People who are unlike us and perhaps even unlovely. Why should we do that? Because Christ accepted us. The basis for why we accept other people, no matter who they are. If they're a believer in Jesus Christ, we accept them. We accept these unlovely people because, according to this verse, we were unlovely ourselves. Turn back to chapter twelve, We see the next one. Next part of of fellowship, encouragement, exhortation, acceptance, and then fourthly, accountability. Romans chapter twelve verses ten through thirteen. Accountability. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. There's a long list of things that we ought to be doing in order to promote fellowship, but I think we could summarize them by saying that this is accountability. That we are keeping people accountability, accountable. That we're not letting them lack behind in diligence and they're not letting us. We're willing to let them look into our lives. Look in, in, and see with a microscope what kind of things are going on and we're willing to accept what sorts of uh, of uh, change that needs to take place. Because one of the ways that God allows us to to not be swayed by the deceitfulness of sin is by letting other people get to know us. We come into church often and tell ourselves we're okay. And Sometimes we get away from church and we say we're okay. We'll be fine. I've got good foundation. I've learned a lot of things throughout my life. But we're not okay. We need regular interaction, regular spiritual interaction with genuine believers, people who are following after God And that's where accountability comes in. That's why fellowship is so important because it it helps us to be accountable. Number five, forgiveness. You know Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why should we forgive? Just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We forgive because God has forgiven us. And uh, we could look at Colossians 3, 9-13 through as well. It says the same sort of thing. But we're actually going to take a whole week to talk about forgiveness. Uh, so we won't do that. But I'll let you write that down if you'd like to. Colossians 3, 9-13. through We recognize that we have been forgiven an enormous debt. And so even though this person is unlovely and they've done some, some sin against us that we are surprised at, we can still forgive them because it's part of fellowshipping with people. And then uh, next is restoration. Our fellowship ought to be marked by restoration. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The ultimate goal in showing someone else their sin is to restore them to fellowship. It is to restore them to a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. And if you've been in a church where there has been an extreme sin that has taken place, you recognize how important this restoration is and how how much they've been detached, really, from genuine fellowship. And this requires a great deal of forgiveness, wisdom, love, in order to restore somebody back. But that's the ultimate purpose in it. We're trying to restore them back so that they can be mutually growing in godliness with us. And the next, hospitality hospitality 1st Peter chapter 4 1st Peter chapter 4 verse 9 our, our fellowship ought to be marked by encouragement by exhortation by acceptance of one another of with uh, accountability forgiveness restoration and then hospitality Peter writes in verse 9 of chapter 4, be hospitable to one another without complaint. That is, making them feel at home. Making them feel comfortable. Okay, trying to remove the awkwardness of the feeling of coming into a group that perhaps that they're not familiar with. Or even if you've been around these people for a long time, making them feel comfortable in the sense that we are providing for their needs. That's the idea of hospitality. And in those days, what would happen oftentimes is they didn't have a whole lot of hotels so what they would do is when somebody would be coming from out of town to tra- traveling, they would take in strangers often, and obviously family members as well, and they'd provide for them. They would They would take care of their needs and we can do that within our own body and also when we are away from this place. Um... And uh, so we need to be, uh, our, our fellowship needs to be marked by hospitality. And then lastly, generosity. Look at verse 2. Uh, I'm sorry, we already left Galatians. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We saw that uh, Galatians 6 1 was talking about restoration. In, in verse 2, we see this another aspect of fellowship, and that is generosity bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We ought to be bearing one another's burdens. What kind of things are weighing the other believers in this church down? I mean, think about the things that are weighing them down. And if you don't build relationships with people, you can't know what is weighing them down. Some people, just by nature, will not tell you what's weighing them down. And I understand that, but but in general, we need to be finding out what other people's burdens are and bearing them for them, or bearing them with them. Generosity. That is what gen- genuine fellowship looks like. it's It's motivated by a love for God because of what He has done for us. and it it springs forth in this encouraging outlook, okay, our our upward look that we have this love toward God results in an outward look, not an inward one. It, it's not an introspective type thing, although there is a sense in which we need to be introspective about our own sin and our own righteousness, our own godliness. But it's also, as far as service goes, it's outward. Not I, I want to make sure that my needs are met. It's, I want to see that, make sure that our church's needs are met. So I'm going to look out and see what kind of things I can do to improve the fellowship here. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to exhort. I'm going to lead people to love and good works. I'm going to be hospitable. I'm going to be be accountable with a person. So we together are growing in godliness. I'm, I'm going to be uh, generous. And so on. And what that will ultimately result in is Ephesians chapter 4. Let me have you turn there. This is the passage uh, that we want to look at. This is the... Uh, really the conclusion, and that is that genuine fellowship results in mutual growth in godliness. It looks like people who are looking outside of themselves, looking to serve other people, and it results in mutual growth in godliness. All the parts of the body are growing up in the things of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What you heard repeated several times there was that it, it is for the purpose of building... This body up is that we are supposed to be built up in the body of Christ, verse 12, that we are, verse 16, built up, building up ourselves in love. How does that happen? Well, ultimately, it comes through Christ. Christ is the one who causes that growth. But look at verse 16 again. It is from the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. It says each member of the body looks outside of itself and looks around at the needs of others. So that means that God uses believers working together to cause godliness to arise within ourselves, to increase within ourselves. And that godliness promotes great unity. That's what we read in in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, we're, we're, we're going somewhere. We're working to get more and more unified, not around our desires, our likes and dislikes, unless those likes and dislikes are what the Scripture teaches. So really, our unity revolves around our understanding of the Scriptures. The more that we know the Scriptures and love the Scriptures, the more unified we will be around the Scriptures. And as a result, it will, it will spring forth with godliness in each one of us. We need each other. We need that unity that comes from knowing the Word. We need that unity from, that comes from loving each other. And that love and peace is displayed to the world. It, it, it displays God's greatness. And that, that was what we said our ultimate goal is. It is to glorify God, First 1 Corinthians 10.31. It is where God is ultimately headed. Revelation four eleven that that from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. To Him be praised forevermore. That's where we're headed, but in order to get there, we need to increase uh, in in fellowship, and that requires work on our part individually. <coughs>
1: think to yourself, what would ideal fellowship look like
0: in our church, in Ambassador Baptist Church? What would ideal fellowship look like here? How would, how would you individually feel most loved at this church? Okay, let's think of some specific things. People would go out of their way to greet you. People would take time to talk to you. People would let you know that they are praying for you wouldn't they people would spend time getting to know you people would on occasion invite you to their house to have a meal or invite you out to dinner people would send you a note of encouragement when you were struggling with something or just for no reason at all just because they wanted to tell you that they were thinking about you people would recognize that when you were gone uh and they would recognize when you were gone, and they would call you up and find out if everything was okay. People would ask your advice when it came to something that that was your um, that was your strength. People would forgive you when you sinned. People would not point out your sin to you publicly without having first done it privately. They would come to you discreetly. And if you think about it, that would be ideal fellowship in our church. And maybe you're thinking, well, well, when is that going to start? When are people around me going to start looking for ways to improve and so that I can enjoy fellowship better? Well, I would suggest to you that it starts right now. And it doesn't start with them. It starts with you. It starts with you and it starts with me. With each believer recognizing that change needs to happen. that That we are all slipping towards ungodliness if we're not growing in godliness. And so we need each other. We need to look out for what kind of needs other people have. And it starts with each person, each believer recognizing that the change in genuine fellowship starts with with ourselves. When we start getting our eyes off of ourselves and onto the cares and the needs of other people, then we start to to uh, enjoy this genuine fellowship as a group. I would give you um, a homework assignment if you're uh, up to it, and that would be to look up the phrases in the New Testament that have the phrase one another in them. We read several of them tonight. If you jotted down several of those verses, there there are uh, tens more. So there are several more of those that say one another. and And if you look at them within the context of the local church, what you're going to find is that that you have responsibility to one another. Not just to one person. Okay, I'm going to make this my project person. I'm going to take them under my wing. That may be helpful. But you have actually responsible to every person, to one another. And what are those things? What types of responsibilities do we have? I listed for you several of those things. But there are even more. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And you know, I think our church does enjoy sweet fellowship. I am regularly encouraged by the selfless selfless acts of love that I see. Um, And I'm sure there are a lot more that are taking place that I don't even see. But don't you agree that our fellowship could even be better? That it could be even greater? That, That we could be growing in godliness even more? And don't you agree that your individual, your personal individual commitment to genuine fellowship could be better? Do you tend towards isolationism? Or do you tend to look out at other people, see what their needs are, and be willing to bear those burdens with them? Be willing to, to reach out and meet the, their needs, even if it's going to cost you something. And you do all that as your relationship with God is growing, but you do it because of what God has done for you. That He has provided provided this perfect fellowship with you when you didn't deserve it, and so you you want to reach out to other people and serve them, even sometimes when they don't. So I think it would be helpful for us to purpose as a church to build up one another in loving fellowship as God causes us all to grow in godliness. May He help us as we do so. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the fellowship that we can have in Jesus Christ, and we recognize that from Genesis chapter 3 till Revelation 19, that fellowship has been marred, and we have been unable to have sweet fellowship with You and perfect fellowship with other people, but that will be restored when Jesus Christ finally comes and wipes away all sin, puts an end to evil and the consequences that come from it, and we'll be able to enjoy sweet fellowship and perfect fellowship with You and with other people, unhindered by anything. But until that time, Lord, we pray that You would help us to have an outward perspective that we would look out for the needs of other people and see how we can accomplish, how can we how we can work to meet those needs, how we can encourage and exhort, and, and be accountable and help restore and and uh, how to how to be uh, promoting love and good works in their lives and allowing them to do the same in ours. We need your help in that way because by nature we do have a proud sort of mindset that we are okay. We don't need help from outside of us. But Lord, You know that we are weak and we are feeble. We need Your grace. And part of the way that You accomplish growth in godliness is through other believers who are working together to build up the body. So we pray that You'd help us not to neglect genuine fellowship. That every service that we participate in would be marked by fellowship. And that every activity that we engage in would be marked by fellowship. May we would do it uh, even to the unlovely, even to the people who are harder to get along with. And we do it because of, of what you have done for us. Help us to be humble before you and to recognize the great payment that we deserve, the great uh, consequence that we deserved as a result of our hatred of you. And may we ever be grateful for what You have done. And as a response, may it overflow with service towards other people. And in so doing, we prove that we love You. We ask for Your help and Your grace in it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.